Good morning. Well, or should I say, good bad morning. Or maybe bad good morning. Because the interesting thing is, you know, it's never just one or the other, is it? It's a good morning. But for some of us, our knees popped pretty loudly when we got out of bed and there were aches in our back from yard work yesterday. And, yeah, well, you, you know, if you take just that small slice, it was a bad morning. But it was a good morning also. I, uh, some of you know that I've coached softball for years, and one coach that I've run across just wished his players a good, bad day every day. I think it would get old to do that every day. But a good, bad day. I hope you have a, a good, bad day. Meaning that it's important for us to recognize no day is going to be completely great, and no day is going to probably be completely bad. There have been days that have been completely bad, it seems. But the the goodness and the badness mixed is pretty important for us to admit. Because most of us build our Christianity for the really good days or the really bad days. The days when our hearts are full, when we just have this experience of feeling loved by God and we enjoy Him in a way that is meaningful and deep and soul-satisfying. And on those days we say, yes, well, God is for me. I know that and I feel it. And it's a good day. And we think that's how it should be every day. But if you've lived more than two days, you know it's not that way every day. Or we build our religion, our Christianity, for the really awful days. The days that you just can't get by without God. I mean, we, some of you know our story. My wife and I have lost uh, two children. And there were two days, and of course the subsequent days after, when nothing got us through except knowing that in fact the Gospel was true, that God does still love us in the face of circumstances that seemed like He didn't. And yeah, I think that the, the Gospel is built for those really bad days. But praise God, that's not every day. Most of the days are somewhere between those two poles of the really, really good and the really, really bad. Most of the days are good, bad days. And it occurred to me that those are the days we struggle to believe God in the midst of. When it seems good and we kind of all get feel set up because it's good and then it, there's a bad part of the day. We don't know how to interpret that. We don't know how to manage the good and the bad together. Well, Psalm 40, which you have just sung, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and and turn there. But Psalm 40, which you have just sung, is, well, a good, bad psalm. It's good and it's bad so much so that some people have suggested that it's two psalms mashed together. I don't think that's the case, but that's how obvious it is. There is good and there is the bad. 
And Psalm 40, I do believe, helps us for all of those days in between the really, really great ones and the really, really awful ones. The good, bad days. And so let's take a look at Psalm 40. It starts out letting us know that it's to be sung. And guess what? You just did sing it. You sang an uh, uh, anglicized version of Psalm 40. Put to music. I was impressed. I mean, we try and do that every week. I'm sure that you've caught on if you've been here uh, very many uh, times this summer. Uh, but I'm pleased that you caught on because I had never heard the song before and you'd never heard the song before and probably will never hear it again. But I was pleased by the end you were singing it. And that's what it lets us know. It's for the choir master. And you were a moment ago the, the choir. It's a psalm of the king, the one to whom God promised that there would be a son on his throne forever. And so David, the king, is writing about what it's like to have good, bad days as a king. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now this struck me as, as really unique in that it starts off by saying the very first words of the psalm are, I waited patiently. And that's not insignificant. Because Psalm 39, if you recall from last week, asked the question, for what am I waiting? Then he said, oh Lord, I wait for you. But here, he starts out by picking up that theme saying, I waited patiently. And in fact, in the end, the very last words of this psalm have to do with the same thing. Do not delay. Time is of the essence for David. God has made a promise, seems slow to deliver. And so David is saying, Lord, I'm waiting patiently for you. And he ends his prayer with, do not delay. I don't know how many of you have those conversations with God. If you don't, you should. But part of the reason it's here, it's, it's here to help us know how to talk to God when God seems distant or not like, like He's not paying attention. You have to have this kind of vocabulary. You have to be able to say to God, God, I'm waiting for You. Please, don't delay any longer. And I've even been praying for some of you that very same thing. God, please don't delay in, in helping and healing and solving these problems and saving family members. But this, even the psalm, it seems prompted by that good, bad day, that day in between when God's not answering and yet there still is hope somehow. And it's not the great day and it's not the awful day, it's the day in between. It's a day when it seems too slow. Well, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and heard my cry. That's a good thing, right? It's not a bad thing, not a good bad thing. It's a good thing. This first half of this psalm is 
his thanksgiving, his remembering what God has done, the good things that God has done for him, which, which by the way, is uh, the only way, I would say. That might be an overstatement, but not much of one. To say the only way to maintain your faith in the in-between days, the good, bad days, is to remember what God has done. And here he's remembering now, I waited, past tense, and he turned to me. It's like we were at the table and he, he bent his ear toward me so that he could hear my cry. And when he did, he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So I suspect that while David could have been, you know, like Indiana Jones, stuck in some um, quicksand somewhere at some point, remembering, oh, I'm out of the quicksand now. Probably it wasn't that. Probably he was remembering a situation like some of you are in even right now, where it's just hard and dark and discouraging and it's the pit. Sometimes we even say that, or we used to say that. It's a pit, right? That's what we're talking about. And he drew me out of that and he set my feet on a rock and he made my steps secure so that there's no more sinking feeling. There's no more feeling of being stuck. Again, this is the good part. This is the, I'm remembering when God has done that for me. Even this morning as we were praying before the service, I... Um, just kind of the way that we organize. I like to show you my the, the scriptures up here and the way that we're organizing with um, the controls and things made me nervous. Like it's not going to work. <laughs> and so when I was praying, I remembered, Lord, I've been nervous before. I felt like this is not going to work before and you've helped me. Lord, will you help me again? And it's that rehearsal of what God has done that helps us. In fact, We notice in the next verse, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's interesting. Several times through the Psalms, you will see this phrase, a new song. The Lord has sing to the Lord a new song. The Lord has put a new song. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have drums and a bass. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to sound like Mumford and Sons or sound, you know, something like that. What it means is the old song is a song of creation. That our God is the Creator God, the one who made the heavens and earth. That He stands over all of it as its owner and its maker. That's the old song. The new song is that now He is also, in addition to being the Creator, He is a Savior. And the new song is a song of salvation. A song that where we sing praise to God for His deliverance. Which again, if you've been around New Life Church very long, you know that's the song we love to sing. In fact, that's the song we sang at the very beginning of the service wasn't all the poor and powerless. 
And we're talking about, we're singing about what God is doing to draw us to Himself. We're singing about His deliverance. And when we do, people will see in, in fear and put their trust in the Lord. They will have the proper respect for God, both as Creator and as Savior. I mean, this is all, this is all good, isn't it? Here it gets even better. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. You know how easy it is to trust in people. It's easy to look to people to solve our problems, that the doctor's somehow going to make me uh, well. Or somehow the financial advisor is somehow going to help me retire. Or the boss is somehow going to keep me employed. Or my wife is going to somehow make me happy. Or any of those things or more. And here he's reminding himself again that the Lord has saved him. And he's proclaiming the people who put their trust in God rather than in other people, those are the ones who are happy. Those are the ones uh, who are flourishing. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And so remember then, when it's in the good, bad days, that's some of the deception of the good, bad day, is that the, the day starts out okay, and all of a sudden I'm pretty excited about what just happened and I'm beginning to trust in something besides God. And then somehow the day disappoints me. And then I'm reminded again, oh yes, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And then I'm just going to I'm just going to stop here before I even read this and say just how wonderful uh, this text is, how, how wonderful this verse, the next verses are, because the last couple weeks have, I don't know how you felt, I mean, there are probably some people stayed away from church this morning, because Psalm 38 and Psalm 39 were just a trial. I mean, they were just sad and hard and... And now, we have Him saying, not all the days are those sad, hard days. Because you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward me. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In Psalm 38 and Psalm 39, He didn't talk like that. He didn't rehearse the character and the goodness of God. He just simply wept before the Lord. But that's, this day is not that day. This is not that awful day. This is a day where he can remember, yes, Lord, you have multiplied your deeds and your thoughts toward us. They're more than can be told. Then he says, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear and a burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. I don't know if you can hear the tune. I mean, even as I'm reading this, I can hear the tune that we just sung. Uh, 
reminding me that in sacrifice and offering, the Lord does not delight. That ultimately, it's not about your external religious performance. It's not the fact that you are going to somehow sacrifice for God so that then you can congratulate yourself and say, you know what, I've, I've done all that God requires. He will accept me because of how good I am. There's no self-congratulations here. In fact, he says, sacrifice and offering, that's not what you're after. You want an open ear. You want me to hear what you have to say and respond. A burn offering and a sin offering you've not required. And then David says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written for me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now this is perhaps the strangest of the verses in this whole chapter. Behold, I've come in, I've, I've come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. What's he talking about here? I think what he is talking about is, well, first of all, he is saying in, in this middle day and not in the great day, not in the awful day, I have internalized the Word of God. What is in my heart is what God put there. I delight to do as well. He's admitting that he is not trying to externally please other people or somehow externally please God. He is, in fact, genuinely, internally changed by God. But, he is also uniquely so. Because he said, in the scroll of the book it is written, of me. Now, you're probably not going to be able to say that, and neither am I. How many scrolls of books written with me in the title? But what he has in mind, I believe, is his role as king. And he is looking back to Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, when it talks about a king. Um, when you possess a land and dwell in it, you will say, uh, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers who shall set as king, you shall set as king over you, but don't put a foreigner who is not your brother. And then he, then he gives the, the qualifications of this king. He shouldn't acquire too many horses. He shouldn't acquire too many wives. He shouldn't acquire too much gold and silver. And then he says, <clears throat> and when he sits on the throne, of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and the statutes and by doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment. And what David was recognizing, this is, I think this is super interesting, because there, there's only maybe one other person in the whole Bible that does this. Well, two, I guess. John the Baptist recognizes he's a voice crying in the wilderness. 
And Jesus looks back at the law and the prophets and tells his disciples all that this says of me. David here, just a a few decades, probably after, um, well not after this is written in Deuteronomy, but after um, they established a king, there was King Saul who was not this kind of king. King Saul who was a problem in Israel. He was replaced and David was uh, became the righteous king. The one who did the light to do God's will. Who did have the word written in his heart. And now he's looking back saying, Behold, in the scroll of the book, it's written of me. That king is, is me. And so as king, he's looking back and what he's coming up with is, do you know what? It's internalized just like it was supposed to be. Your law is within my heart. And so he's pulling this chain, which is, which is interesting. This, this psalm is, is beautiful in that it just invites lots and lots of uh, reading and studying because it, there's just this chain, just even in the vocabulary from verse to verse. And now he's drawing the chain throughout the Scripture saying, back in Deuteronomy, it's talking about me here in the Psalms. I delight to do your will, your laws within my heart. And he says, not only that, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. What he's doing is he's convincing God that he remembers God's good work. In his prayer, he is telling God, I want you to know, when I was with everybody in the great congregation last Sunday, I didn't have my hands in my pockets. I wasn't saying, praise the Lord. I mean, how many of us, right, sing like that? Is that just sort of the gold standard of how people worship? Like, oh, I'm so happy. David said, that is not, that is not what's going on here. I want you to know that I let it be known, God, that you are a great creator, a great savior, and that you have done it for me. And he says, I, I just love this word, I have not restrained my lips. How often do you find yourself restraining yourself when you're at worship? Saying, Oh, what if I sing when, like, you know, Arthur's not singing? What do, that'll be embarrassing. I'm not, I just won't sing. I mean, all the better, right? Let people know that the God that you're singing about is worth being embarrassed over, maybe. That's what he's, that's what he's reminding God of. I'm not holding back. In fact, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. His faithfulness, His salvation, His covenant love, His promise to His King that He's keeping, and His his commitment to be faithful to God. I have not kept quiet. 
And so he's appealing to God to hear him. And the, the way that the psalm is, is structured, there is this good side and there's the bad side of the psalm. But at the end of each, there is this affirmation of confidence in God. Because God has previously done this, regardless of my circumstances, I can affirm confidently, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. I do hope that you see sort of this chain link between these verses, right? He had not restrained his praise in the great congregation, and now he's affirming his confidence that God will not hold back his mercy toward him. What a great, what a great reminder. When you need mercy the most, God's not going to be stingy. He's not going to hold it back and say, you know, I have already given you quite a bit of mercy. Let me just be careful that I don't run out. That's not going to be how it goes at all. You will not restrain your mercy from me. Your covenant love and faithfulness will always preserve me. You can't get a more confident statement to affirm God's goodness towards you. And I think that comes because of His previous rehearsal of the good things of God. So there is this remembering the goodness in a confident affirmation. And then because it's not just a good day, it's a good bad day, we have the other side here. Notice the evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. This is so interesting. Because in some respect, there, there are days, I think, and I think even in Psalm 38 and 39, he sort of teased out and, and parsed out what uh, the cause of his trouble was. He said, I am having trouble because of my sin. Here he says, there's stuff outside of me. There are evils that are just engulfing me. Maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's the news. Maybe it's uh, the, the things that you worry about that you see on, on TV. Whatever it is, it's just, you have no control over it just engulfing you. There's external evil. And then he says, but that's not all. There's internal evil. My iniquities have overtaken me. I've tried to run away from them. I've tried to pretend they wouldn't happen. And they've caught up to me and they've captured me. I feel like I'm drowning. I can't see. They're above the hairs of my head. They're, my heart fails within me. I just am totally overwhelmed. And so it doesn't matter, he says, if it's outside of me or if it's inside of me, if it's external or if it's just my failing heart. But either way, he says, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm Overwhelmed. I'm finished here. And he says, Be pleased, O Lord, then, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. I love here, as opposed to Psalm 38 and Psalm 39, uh, that he didn't linger. He didn't linger. He didn't feel like this time 
He had to go over and over how bad he'd been or how awful everybody else is. He just says, Lord, the evil outside of me is too much. The evil inside of me is too much. My heart is failing. Please deliver me in hurry to help me. Those who are trying to hurt me, God, put a stop to them. If there's other people trying to hurt you, some of you, some of you need this prayer even right now. It's like those people who are trying to hurt me, let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether. Who sneak, who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Father, just let them be frustrated in their ability to hurt me. I mean, I've needed this prayer even this week. Even this week I've gotten notice that somebody intends to do wrong toward me or to hurt me. And it's kept me awake at night and it's made me um, nervous, I suppose, to a degree. In a prayer like this, it just says, God, let them be frustrated as they try and do me harm. Let them be appalled because of their shame. They tried to put me to shame. Let them be put to shame. Who, may, who seek to make fun of me. Who seek to point out my weakness and my failing. Then he says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Again, he doesn't stay in that moment where it's all awful. He just is able to come back to the middle and say, this is a good, bad day. God, may all who seek You rejoice and be glad in You. May those who love Your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. See, that's, that's what we need to build our Christianity for. It's for those days when, yes, we do get attacked. Yes, we do have our own iniquity that overwhelms us. And then we can immediately come back and say, I remember when I was in the pit before. And He pulled me out. God, would You save me again? I'm going to seek You. Let me rejoice and be glad. I will love Your salvation. And may everybody who does agree with me, great is the Lord. And then here, He has this affirmation. Again, this confident affirmation. At the end of what was negative, the people attacking him, his sins uh, overwhelming him, he says, as for me, I will admit, I am poor and needy. I'm not going to... He's a king. Kings don't normally talk like this. But before God, it is no question, I am poor and needy. My sin's overwhelming me. My enemies are attacking me. And I can't handle it. This is just a statement of, I am I'm not all that. I just need You, God. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. This is His second confident affirmation. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh God, do not delay. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful way, I think, even in the ebbs and the flows of a day, of a week, of a year, of a life, to be able to say, God, 
the bad that I'm receiving. Some of it I deserve. Some of it I don't deserve. Deliver me. Some of it's my sin. Forgive me. Some of it's just misfortune and living in a broken world. God, help me. Save me. And I would really like it to not be a long time from now. Don't delay. See, one of the reasons that we go psalm after psalm after psalm in the summers, in verse after verse after verse in the winters, is because we want to build for you this reservoir of faith vocabulary that you have in your arsenal so that when you have that good, bad day, you can go directly to God and say, God, don't wait any longer to help me. You can admit my iniquities or my sin is overwhelming me. You can say, God, I do remember before when you helped me. And so your faith can be built not just for the really great mountaintop experiences or the really deep valleys of the shadow of death. But it can be built for the in-between time. When there are good, bad days. When nothing is as good as it should be and nothing's as bad as it could be. We want you to have the vocabulary and the, the wherewithal and the experience with God so that so that even in the middle times, you are prepared to stay in love with God. And that, I think, is the, the theme of this psalm. But I just am going to say, throughout the psalms, it, it, somebody, somebody said it like this, the psalms are like walking uh, uh, along a path. And as you do, there's just gold scattered on the top of the ground. And you can walk along, and all it takes is just a surface reading of the Psalms, and there's gold nuggets for you to walk by and pick up. But when you mine the gold, there's even more. Okay, well, I, I think the mining of the gold here is this theme that God will... Uh, that, that God has helped in the past, He will help in the future. When it's good or bad, I can still go to God and I build my life for both of those times. I think that's the theme. But there's some gold nuggets I just want to make sure you see. Okay? Here in this last verse, the Lord takes thought for me. Think about that. Think about that. The problem is that God is not acting right now on David's behalf. Lord, I'm waiting patiently. Please don't delay. Hurry to be my, make haste to be my help. The Lord is not acting, but He affirms the Lord is thinking of Him. The Lord who loves you, even if He delays, is delaying because He is thinking of you with His covenant love. 
He is committed to being faithful to you. And so even when He's not acting, He's thinking, I'm just going to go back at verse 5. No other psalm, no other psalm highlights the, God's thoughts toward you as much as this one does. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your thoughts toward us. None can compare to you. Your thoughts toward us are more than can be told. I mean, when has this ever happened? When has this ever happened that that somebody thinks of somebody else so much they can't even say? Right? I mean, I remember when when my wife and I were, were dating and school we we met in college and the summer break happened right and i i lived in the college town so i stayed there and she went back to the ranch in eastern montana and i have to admit i thought of her all the time probably more than i can even tell you right it's a It's a suggestion here by David that God really, really does love you. He's thinking about you all the time, even though you may not see His hand at work. That's just gold, I think, laying on the top of the ground that helps us recognize that when He is going to come to our aid, He's really serious about it. He's thinking about it. But that's, that's not the best reason that God is able to come to your help in that good, bad day. That's not the best guarantee. It's a great guarantee. God is thinking of you and He will come to be your deliverer and your help. And He will be faithful to you because He's thinking about you. That's good. That's not the best reason, though. That you can be confident that Psalm 40 means business about God being your help. The best reason that you can trust in Psalm 40, you can trust in, better than that, the God of Psalm 40, is because in His thinking of you, He became your Deliverer. As David articulated, as David the King articulated in the book of the scroll, it is written of me. The son of David, who became your deliverer, said the very same thing. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice what he says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he's saying Psalm 40 was about Christ. When Christ came into the world, He quoted the words of Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of Your book. See, the, see this golden chain of history now built? This golden chain of the Gospel that begins here in Deuteronomy. It says the king is going to have the law in his heart. He's going to be humble before Me. David says, this is written about Me. Jesus says, this is written about Me. And what David said is about Me. So that 
The humility of David is eclipsed by the humility of Christ. The sacrifices that David said God doesn't delight in is highlighted so that we know what God does delight in. When he said above, okay, before, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. So basically, the writer of Hebrews is explaining Psalm 40 for us. He added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first, the old order of things, this old covenant, this old law, in order to establish the second, the new covenant. And how does He do that? And this is your guarantee that God means business when He thinks of you and when He comes to be your salvation. And by that, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What the writer of Hebrews does for us is he pulls this thread from Deuteronomy to Psalms to Jesus to say, it is not the sacrifices that you perform that gain your deliverance from God. It is not what you have offered to God that earns for you His smile. That earns for you the good part of the good day. You don't get it because you deserve it. It's not your sacrifice. Rather, he says, it's the sacrifice of Jesus that earns for you the favor of God. It's the fact that God is so intent on blessing you, He's not going to wait and see how you do if you can actually keep His law, if you can actually do what you are obligated before God to do. All of us know we're more like David than that, aren't we? Our iniquities have overwhelmed us. So, praise be to God, He has not restrained His mercy from us. Praise God, instead, He sent the body of Jesus Christ once and for all to be the offering and sacrifice for us. That's the guarantee that, Jesus, that, that God will deliver you. That's the guarantee that He is intent on helping you. The guarantee that God offers us now in the New Covenant, is yes, His Spirit is within us. His law is on our hearts. And we have Jesus who has given Himself for us on the cross that the sacrifice which God does delight in has been offered. What God does demand has been done. So that all that is left for us is to confidently affirm with the psalmist in chapter in Psalm chapter 40 I am poor and needy make haste to help me and be my salvation you see and that's really what God offers to each one of us this morning is the help and salvation that comes from Jesus the help and salvation that Jesus won for us on the cross. The Christian hope is better 
It's better than David's hope. David's hope was good. He was certain of it. God was thinking of him all the time. And the Christian hope is even better than that. And so, it's the Christian hope that I commend to you on your best of days, on your worst of days, and everywhere in between. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we are here before you desiring your salvation, desiring that you would help us and that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Always, always, our prayer is the same. God, do not delay. Show us your covenant love again because of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not yet trusted in Christ to be the promised salvation, Father, would they do that even today? And Father, if there is anyone here that has in the past prayed a prayer like that, had an experience like that, and yet has begun to trust themselves that somehow they're being good enough or even being sorry enough for their sins, that somehow the fact that they're doing it right is going to earn your mercy. Father, would you grant them the confidence of David here, one for them by the cross of Jesus, the confidence that says that you will not restrain your mercy and that you only desire uh, our hearts. So, Father, we commit ourselves again to you and thank you for the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.